This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff, who we're not calling it on assignment. He is he is oh, he is out for Connor Bedard tanking reasons. He will be back on Monday. I know that sounds really bad, like we're trying to tank for the ratings. Hey, we'll take Connor Bedard any day. If you're listening, Regina Pats, we'll take him any day. Uh, speaking of Connor Bedard, uh, a team that is very much in the running for his services for what they probably hope for the next 10 years is the Arizona Coyotes. And the man that covers them better than anybody else, Craig Morgan, joining me on the line from Phoenix Sports. Craig, how are you today? I'm great. How are you, Matt? I'm good. I'm good. So it, it's it's been an expected year for the Coyotes in terms of wins and losses. How would you categorize what's gone on on the ice and off the ice? Like, is there is there any way to deem this season somewhat of a success? <laughs> well, with the way that they're playing at Mullet Arena, um, they're really not staying on assignment for the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. So, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see what happens at the lottery for a team that has never had any lottery luck, that has never picked in the top two somehow in spite of their struggles in the desert. This was all about the rebuild and trying to get one of those top three picks. And because the Coyotes are playing so well at home, they may not accomplish that either when, when the uh, NHL draft lottery comes around. Well, I, was, I saw a stat last night that they have more home wins than like Ottawa and Washington, like teams that were in and around the playoff picture. And, and I guess the question is, is there some sort of advantage for them to playing in mullet arena in front of a smaller crowd? And, you know, the dressing rooms aren't necessarily the same as, as anywhere else in the NHL. Like, is there some sort of weird advantage to playing in that ring for the coyotes? Yeah. I, I, at this point, I think you have to say that there is, I don't know that the, the dressing room has anything to do with it. In fact, most, most of the visiting teams will tell you that it's one of the better visiting dressing rooms in the league. But what's going on here is the size of the rink. Brett Ritchie just arrived after the trade deadline. He had some visa issues and played his first game last night. And he said, it definitely feels different. The ice, he said, I know it's not, but the, the surface feels smaller because the, the arena is smaller. The, the, the optics of everything are just different to adjust to. Aside from that, and you probably heard a ton of visiting players say this now, it's a really fast service. I've had multiple NHL players tell me it may be the best ice in the NHL. So you have to adjust to that. The boards are fast. And the Coyotes obviously have adjusted to it because they've been playing in it for a while. You know, I, I've, I've had some people suggest maybe that wears off after time. But when you're only visiting one time a year and then you're playing in standard NHL arenas, I'm not sure if you ever adjust to playing at Mullet Arena. So they have they have more home wins than 11 teams in the NHL, and they have the exact same amount of home wins as the Seattle Kraken. So there you go. So there's there's got to be some there's got to be something in the water there. Um, okay, I wanted to talk about the contract that they've brought in. Like we know that they brought in contracts of guys that are never going to play for them. This is an ongoing thing. You know, you look at you know Shea Weber and and Jacob Voracek and Andrew Ladd, Brian Little, and then before them guys like Chris Pronger, Pavel Datsuk, and others. We know that this is kind of the MO of the Arizona Coyotes right now so that they can get to the salary cap floor, but how do you think how do you think this is viewed by the NHL at this point in time? Because in some respects they are kind of making a mockery of this system. Well, first off, it's a hell of a lineup that they've assembled. Yeah, it's pretty good. There's Hall of Famers there. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I do wonder if this is going to be addressed. And listen, you can imagine what agents and players think of it because they are on one side of this issue. They want to see more players get paid, so they're not happy about it at all. But quite frankly, this has to come from the governor level. And I'm wondering, you know, when the Board of Governors convene in Florida in June, if this will be on the agenda. I know there are some executives that are not happy with the way that the Coyotes are using the cap to their advantage. Um, I don't know if it ever rises to the point of change. Uh, listen, some GMs are happy that the Coyotes are doing what they're doing, right? Because they're taking on their bad contracts. They're, they're helping other GMs with their bad previous decisions. So there's a market for that, clearly. Um, and, and I'm sure you've heard Bill Armstrong say, the general manager for the Coyotes, saying, we're not going to apologize for that. We're doing what's in the rules. So if anything is going to change here, it's going to have to be done at the governor level. I don't know that the Coyotes would face as much criticism for this one issue if it weren't part of the bigger mosaic of the Arizona Coyotes. We just talked about the fact that they're playing in a 4,600-seat arena, 
They've had a lot of issues, you know, with, with whether they're stable or not. They've been taking on revenue sharing for a very long time. I think all of those things go together to paint this negative picture of the Arizona, Arizona Coyotes. This is obviously one major issue, but it's part of a much bigger picture. Um, how far do the cuts kind of go here in terms of this roster? Because, yes, they need to spend some money to get to the, the cap floor, and guys like Clayton Keller and and Nick Schmaltz are very much at the top of the list and, and how they are paid. Um, I feel like Keller's probably a guy that you're going to keep around because he's been he's been excellent this year. Where are we at with, well, we can include him in the conversation. Where are we at with him and Nick Schmaltz and their future in Arizona? Because I know Nick Schmaltz's deal is not really a an Arizona-friendly contract, um, but do you think that both of these guys are, are starting the season next year with the Coyotes, or do you think if somebody comes along with the right deal for, for more futures that they would seriously consider it? Well, Bill, I asked Bill Armstrong this very question uh, right after the trade deadline, and he said it was a conscious decision to keep this core together. Now, having said that, yeah, if there's, if there's the right deal, particularly for a guy like Mitch Schmaltz, who is already 27 years old and probably isn't going to be a major part of this team when and if it re- emerges from this rebuild. You look at his escalating salary over the next three seasons, the fact that his trade value may never be higher, and you put all that together and you think, okay, yeah, the Coyotes might want to move on from Nick Schmaltz if they can get requisite value. The problem with that, like with a guy like Clayton Keller, those two are magic together. They have unbelievable chemistry. Clayton Keller is averaging a point per, per game. Mitch Schmaltz is almost there as well, and over the last two seasons has been a, an incredible offensive player. If, if he's gone, who does Clayton Keller play with? I mean, that's where you have to hope they win the, the Connor Bedard sweepstakes and you can put somebody else on his line because you've got to think about, are you, are you doing something for what, what is now probably your franchise player? Are you putting him in a really bad position? Is he going to remain happy if he's in that position and doesn't have anybody to play with while this team still goes through what is going to be a lengthy rebuild even after this season? This may sound like a really ignorant question, um, but I'm going to ask it anyway, and I'll get myself into trouble later. Um, but what is what is the fan base feel like? Is there a lot of talk amongst the fan base about Connor Bedard and and what kind of impact he would have on a franchise like that? Be- obviously, he's, he could end up being the best player in the world at some point. Um, but is there a lot of talk about it, or is there more of a concern about is this team even going to be here when Connor Bedard is a star and maybe the best player in the world? Yeah, there's plenty of talk about it. You know, listen, the, the relocation rumors have dogged this team forever, and quite frankly, I, I don't buy most of what I see or read. I just I, I don't think that much of what I see and read is well-researched and well-reported. Uh, the, the NHL is pretty clear about its commitment to this team in the desert. But with Connor Bedard, there's a, there's a lot of talk. In fact, I, I would say the majority of this fan base is on board with the idea of this rebuild. They understand what general manager Bill Armstrong is trying to do, and they have seen mistakes in the past where previous regimes have said they're going to rebuild, and then they abandon ship or they, they, they change course midstream and, and bring in some players like Taylor Hall or Phil Kessel, thinking that they might be at that place where they can compete, and they weren't even close. That, look, if you look at history and the way that cup teams were built, it's always done this way, whether it's Chicago or Pittsburgh or Tampa or Colorado. You can just keep citing examples. This is the way to do it. So they're on board with the idea. But again, as I mentioned, right when we started this conversation, I feel like everybody thinks at this point that Connor Bedard is fading from view because the Coyotes are just playing too well at home. So they don't think that they're going to get him. And that's the sad part of all this is, you need franchise players at the top of your lineup. You don't win cups without those guys. So somehow, some way, the Coyotes have to find a couple of those players. Craig Morgan is my guest from Phoenix Sports here on the Jeff Merrick Show, Matt Marchese hosting. And, and you know, that you mentioned how well that they're playing. A lot of that is, is on the players because they have something to prove. But I think we're starting to realize, at least a lot of people are, because I think there was a, a notion of this before, that Andre Tourney is a really good coach. And he's really got the young guys going and they are, I agree with you. They're playing well above expectations here. And you can look to guys like Clayton Keller and and the year that they've had, or a Nick Schmaltz or, you know, even Lawson Krause who hit the 20 goal mark again. I mean, Andre Tourney, here's my concern. I just wonder if Andre Tourney is going to be able to see this thing out. Yeah, it's a fair question because, you, you look at the, the history of these sorts of things. Is he going to be brought in? And then eventually they change stream when, you know, change course when they're, uh, 
when they're ready to compete again. I do wonder about that, but I'm really glad you brought Andre up because that's an important topic that I don't think enough people discuss. I don't, I don't think Andre Trigny is going to be anywhere near the top of the voting for the Jack Adams award, but people really should be looking at the job that he's doing. And, and I don't, I don't want to say that he's reinventing the wheel tactically. I don't think that's what's happening here so much. There's, there's only every, everybody knows systems at this point in the NHL and there's not a lot of tinkering that goes on there. Um, but what he has done both is to get them to really adhere to that system, but more importantly, just to, he's created a culture here of belief and, and, and actual joy. The players really, really like playing for him in spite of all the stuff that's circling around the Arizona Coyotes. This team is having fun. It is a close room. And Andre, you know, you hear the, the term coach, uh, players coach all the time. I mean, he is the ultimate players coach. These guys love playing for him. So they are willing to do the things that he asked them to do. Again, he's not going to get a lot of attention nationally for any kind of awards, but I think that is one of the biggest ingredients we're seeing right now in the Coyotes' success, at least at home. It's Andre Trunyi and his staff. They've done a remarkable job getting these players to buy in and believe. Well, he's got a history. You know, junior hockey, he's, he was a, a great coach. He's coached Canada at the World Junior Championships. Like, there is a history of developing young players there, and I, I understand why the Coyotes did it. I also understand that, you know, coaching in that environment isn't always the easiest thing because you're limited to the players that are being brought in in terms of talent or in terms of age or wherever they are at points in their career. And I also understand why Andre Turini wants to take that that job because it's one of, you know, at that point it was 31 jobs, but one of 32 jobs in the league. Now, about the future of this club, they have, I believe it was 36 draft picks over the next three years, and 21 of them are in the first three rounds. So Bill Armstrong's done a great job in, in accumulating these assets, but there's this thing that they have to worry about, which is how many contracts that they can have. There's no <laughs> yeah. way that they're making all these picks, but do you think that they could be players in moving some of these first, second, and third round picks to bring in a player that is a little bit younger that may, may be, you know, in the, the not in the future plans for an organization? Like, I look at a guy like, and I don't know if it's going to happen. I guess it depends on Jesper Bratt and what his deal looks like, but I look at a guy like Dawson Mercer who I know that the Devils did not want to include in a Timo Meyer deal, but if they w got stuck and had to you know, offer a contract to Dawson Mercer that he wasn't too happy with, I wonder if guys like that would be of interest for the Coyotes because they're also going to have to pay them eventually too. Yeah, and I, I don't know specifics of players. Sure. It, would, it would have to depend, of course, on the age whether they thought the guy was going to be around and, and an impact player when this team actually emerges from the rebuild and, and whether they actually like the guy. Uh, it, it, it's funny you mentioned Dawson Mercer because the Devils actually chose him with one of the picks they got from the Coyotes in the Taylor Hall deal. So that would be a, a perfect circle. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I could see that happening. They are certainly not going to execute all of these draft picks. They have 47 over the next four drafts, which if they were to execute them, <laughs> Would be an NHL record. I actually asked the league about that, and it would be an NHL record. Bill has been pretty honest about that. He said, look, we're not, there's no way we're going to execute all these. But, yeah, when you get a little farther in the process, that's what that allows you to do. It allows you to use them as assets to buy players, and they certainly are looking that, at that. I don't think that's going to happen. Like in the next year or two, they're still really interested in draft capital and trying to draft this high. But if there is that you know, occasional player who – who fits the, the uh, criteria that I just laid out with age and, and, and obviously the evaluation that the, the current staff has of him, I could see that happening. So the Coyotes made three first-round picks uh, last year at the draft, and, and you know Logan Cooley, top of that list at number three, and then Connor Geeky and Maverick Lamoureux was the other one. What do you think the timeline is for, for Cooley and Geeky? Like, I, obviously, we're not going to see them this year. At least I don't expect that we will. But could we see them as early as next year? Or do they do the coyotes want them to kind of wait this out? And, and part of that is their entry level deals and not burning years off of it. Yeah. I could see Logan Cooley being here next season. I, he's always struck me as a one and done kind of college player and the way he's playing for Minnesota right now. And the fact that they're in contention for a national championship there, I mean, they're the number one ranked team in the country. Um, I, I really think he will be here in some respect, whether, whether they start him, you know, down in Tucson for a stretch maybe play him alongside Dylan Gunther so that they can develop some chemistry. We'll have to wait and see. But I think he's going to be here. 
next season. Um, the other two guys, I think they look at as sort of longer term projects, particularly because both, you know, uh, Connor Geeky had an injury that delayed him a little bit. I think they'd like to see him develop uh, both big guys too, that I think when they look at them physically, they think they need some time to really work their way into their bodies just to, to get a feel for, for who they are as bigger players. And I know Bill believes in that, particularly on defense as well with, with Maverick. He likes his size. Bill really likes size on the back end for the reach that it gives guys in defending space. But he's always told me that he views Maverick as a little bit of a longer uh, project. So I don't think either of those guys are going to be here next year. Whatever people may think of how things are being run, I do believe that there is a there is a bright future there for the Arizona Coyotes. What rink they play in, well, that will be a conversation for another day. Listen, Craig, thank you so much for taking some time for me today. Really appreciate it. No problem, man. Anytime. There he goes, Craig Morgan from Phoenix Sports. And, and just a, a programming note for everybody out there in the Toronto area, uh, you will be... If you're listening on Sportsnet 590, the fan, you will be listening to Blue Jays baseball at the top of the hour, but you can still listen to us on the alternative stream uh, on our player page. You can look it up at sportsnet.ca slash 590. Um, and of course, you can continue watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet. Now, uh, when we come back in hour two, the MO is back. My buddy, my pal, your pal, Arda Ocal. That was pretty good, actually. He will join us at the top of the next hour. And we'll also do our random player of the day. And this one, this guy was, this guy was a lot of fun to watch, but you'll hear more about him. And coming up in hour two as well, Trip Tracy, Hurricanes TV analyst, Peter Kachetkov comes up to the NHL and he had himself a hell of a week. That's all coming up in hour two of the Jeff Merrick show. Matt Marchese in for Jeff. When we come back, you're listening on the Sportsnet radio network, watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a few. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Hour two of the Jeff Merrick Show. Jeff is on assignment for Connor Bedard tanking reasons. He'll be back on Monday. Matt Marchese filling in as I normally do. And it's usually on Fridays, eh? Jeff does me a favor. Thank you, Jeff, if you're listening. <laughs> as technical operator Lance Kenny says, he's not listening. You're probably right, Lance. Anyway, we're back. Uh, so last night, uh, a couple of things that we want to get to with Arda Ocal. We will get to random player of the day as well. Uh, but last night, that game between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Vegas Golden Knights was some sort of nasty fun. A little brouhaha, kind of a line brawl. And then and Tanner Janot's taking runs at Jack Eichel all, all night. I mean, he really endeared himself to, <laughs> to his teammates and the fan base in Tampa Bay. Um, as mentioned, the MO is back. My buddy, my pal, Arda Ocal, joining me on the line from ESPN and The Drop. Arda, how are you today, buddy? The MO is back, baby. <laughs> Let's go. I, Canada's better off for it, my man. I do love that someone that was listening did make like a graphic for us. Like that's next level <laughs> commitment to the MO. Like you and I aren't even that committed to the MO, but that person was. So, uh, so thank you for that. Um, okay. Yeah. I want to do random player of the day. Cause I know this is a guy that you watched. Um, so, so let's do that. You don't, you didn't have to prepare anything. You could just listen to the stories that I got from a, a former teammate of his. So today's random player is Ziggy Palfi, former Islander, former Penguin, former LA King. Um, what are your, what do you remember about watching Ziggy Palfi growing up? Is, is Ziggy Palfi the best Islander in the original fisherman era? Oh, for sure. Like talent wise, like he's, he's the best one, right? Yeah. Like, is he the consensus? I, I would think so. I mean, so like the first thing I think of in Ziggy Palfi is him in a fisherman jersey. Well, to be honest with you, Arda, that's that's on my wish list. Like, if I if there is one jersey that if I could choose, it's Ziggy Palfi, a Captain Highliner Islander jersey. That's my that, and in white or in in the teal or whatever. Like, I don't care if 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 that's what I could do, I would do that. So this one submitted by Adam Johnston, and so. I, I've always loved 
Ziggy Palfy because he seemed like he was so he was uber talented. He was he was certainly not the fastest guy, super skilled, insanely smart. And I, when looking up his stats, so only one time in his career when he played 50 or more games, did he have less than a point per game? Like that's how consistent this guy was in an era where, especially, you know, mid career where there wasn't a whole heck of a lot of scoring being done, as you remember. Mm-hmm. And so exactly. So he was, and he was right there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So one teammate told me that he played on a line with Ziggy Paul It was at the beginning of this guy's career and he loved playing with him because he was, you know, he's so smart and he just, he thought the game really well, but Ziggy Palfy, not the, not the most team friendly guy uh, by all accounts. And so the, the, the term that was coined for him from this player was the international man of mystery, because he didn't stick around the rink. He didn't hang out with teammates. Like he didn't really have a lot of friends on the team. It sounded like, or at least in this particular stop. And so Player X gets a pass from cross ice, makes a move on the goal. He has an empty net, tucks it in, celebrates this wonderful goal, and he gets to the bench, and Ziggy Palfy is absolutely sour. And he goes, did you not bleep and see me? He goes, "He goes, I tucked it in an empty net. What do you mean did I not see you? He goes, yeah, all you had to do was pass it to me, and I can tuck it into the empty net there. He was sour, <laughs> and this was one of the nicest goals that this guy had scored all year, and that's what the response was. So Ziggy Palfy, uh, not much of a team guy by all accounts, and 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 I'm actually going to post this video shortly on my Twitter, at uh, MattyMar89 for anybody that's interested. So Ziggy Palfy's career ended very abruptly, and I was told how it all happened. And so he gets he gets absolutely handled by Darcy Horachuk. And you remember Darcy Horachuk is one of the toughest guys in the National Hockey League. Sure. And he cut Ziggy Palfy cuts across the ice, makes a pass, and Darcy Horachuk absolutely kills Ziggy Palfy. He's on the ice, and as was described to me, he looked like a 12-year-old with an overbaggy jersey and just like he just he was out. They the players show up the next day and there's no Ziggy Palfy. And so they ask like, "Oh, where's Ziggy?" "Oh, he came in, he signed his his papers and he retired." Just like that. That was it. One hit. He decided to retire, went back to Slovakia, and never, nobody ever heard from him again. Like, it was the best disappearing act I think I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, that's hilarious. Right? And, and so, and listen, I, you know what? You know what's funny? I'm just going back to that story you said about the, uh, you should have passed to me. That's like the opposite of any normal hockey player. Yes. Right? Like, and, that's just so funny. It's like, normally it would be like, even like, look at Ovechkin scoring, what was it, 802? where like he literally passes it to Kuznetsov to score in the empty net and Kuzi's like, no, 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 no. You got to get this, this not happening. Yeah. Yeah. I'm giving it back to you. Like even in that moment where he was going to set a record, like beat Gordy Howe on the all time list Ovechkin's thinking, no, 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 pass first. Meanwhile, Ziggy Palfi's like, actually, you know, you could have given the puck to me for my, I don't know, 38th goal of the year or something. Yeah. And so, so Ziggy Palfy, when you look at the numbers, 680, uh, 684 games played, 329 goals, 384 assists. Like we're talking, you know, 200, uh, three, mm, 780. That's too much math. I'm not going to do it. He was over 700 points in his career. I probably should have wrote that one down. But, you know, I always wonder about these types of guys. Like if they had continued on, and, you know, decided to keep playing. Like he said, it was a shoulder injury that a lingering shoulder injury that caused him to retire. It didn't based on the stories that I got, it didn't really seem that way. It sounded like he just wanted to go back home and live with his family. And I, I think his, his wife was either a newscaster or actress or something like that. And so he just said, you know, that's it. But if you look at those numbers, you're talking, if he plays a thousand games, you're talking about a hall of fame type career with those numbers. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, we can we can make the case for many players uh, that aren't in the Hall of Fame that absolutely should be in the Hall of Fame. I'm sure sure that's a story for another day. For sure. Uh, And that's uh, that's why we do these segments, because I run into these players all the time on random player of the day. Uh, Also, Ziggy Palfi, a member of the double IHF Hall of Fame. Uh, If you want to submit yours, JM show at sportsnet.ca. Thank you to Adam Johnston for that one. Okay, on to the current uh, affairs in the NHL. And, And as we know, Chuck Fletcher is out as GM. Danny Breer is in as interim GM of the Philadelphia Flyers. And, you know, I mentioned this off the top of the show. Like, the Flyers really do feel like a unique organization in that there's a ton of influence from former Flyers players, management, that, 
you know, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but it does sound like they have a lot of say in what goes on. And I wonder how much leash Chuck Fletcher had with those guys. And if Danny Briere being a former flyer himself is going to have more. Yeah. And I also wonder what happened this trade deadline too, because all we know is like we did the trade deadline show at ESPN and James Van Riemsdyk was uh, traded to the Detroit Red Wings. And then all of a sudden he wasn't traded to the Detroit Red Wings. And then you hear a town hall where Chuck Fletcher is getting unceremoniously booed. And then uh, uh, Torx uh, comes out and says, Hey, you don't think that he tried to trade the guy like, like coming to his defense. And now I wonder if we'll ever hear the details of how or why uh, the, the Flyers were relatively quiet at the trade deadline, and in particular, some of the pieces that you thought that they would honestly move. Uh, usually, when a new GM comes in, uh, you know, like we, we've seen it time and time again, uh, there's a honeymoon period where people are just happy to see a new face, uh, especially if they were disgruntled with the old one. And it'll be interesting to see. Uh, how he handles it. It's, it's, it's not a situation, for example, where Barry Trotz is coming into a Nashville team where David Poyle had been there for decades and is sort of leaving him a whole bunch of picks on his way out. You know, like, hey, I'm trying to set you up as much as possible to succeed here uh, because I care care about the franchise so much. So, you know, a- enjoy your, uh, you know, soft landing or hit the ground running, but you, you got a great head start kind of thing. So, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what Danny Briere does. I can't think of another organization that, and at least one that's not as public as the Flyers with the influence that the alumni have. Because, you know, the first thing that I pointed to was, okay, Johnny Gaudreau wanted to go to Philadelphia. Philadelphia needed guys to put points up on the board. Like that was, that was a must. They needed some more offensive creativity, no question. And, you know, I, I posed that question to Jeff and he said, well, I don't even know if there was interest there. When Johnny Gaudreau is basically willing to say, I'm going to come to your team if you offer me a contract, obviously within reason said contract, but that does feel like, you know, ghosts of flyers past making a decision because Johnny Gaudreau is not the typical Philadelphia flyer, right? But he wanted to be there. And and that's always going to be the question. I, I would love to get a oral history one day of Johnny Gaudreau's off season. And I want to hear from the Flyers side of things. I want to hear from the Devil side of things. Uh, and I want to hear from the Columbus side of things. I, I, I want to know uh, when, when enough, when the statutes and limitations have passed, I suppose, I, I want to hear the real story and understand exactly how Columbus was decided upon, uh, where on the list Columbus was, how many other teams were on the list. Uh, that's a fascinating story. And it, it, it's interesting because like Philadelphia is, you know, like, it, how cool is it to, to, to play in and around your hometown, you know, like, or, or home geographical area. So that's an interesting one. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I uh, wanted to, let's flip gears here. So the Bruins last night, I, I was saying earlier, I had a whole intro written about how great the Bruins are and all their depth that they have. And they dominate at home and who's going to beat them in the East. And, and then they, you know, they piss away two points against the Oilers. Not that it matters for them right now because they're obviously running away with the Atlantic, the Eastern Conference, and the entire NHL in terms of points right now. But the more I thought about it, the more I was looking at the New York Rangers and their current build. Like, when you look at their top nine forwards, it's pretty good. And then you look at their top five defensemen, it's pretty good. Their goalie's excellent. Am I crazy to say that the Rangers aren't as far off from the Bruins as people think. And they're more of a one B to the Bruins one a rather than a two or three. You are not crazy. And here's what I would like to add to that point, because I've been thinking about this a lot. The Boston Bruins obviously have the benefit of being on a historic run. So clearly, obviously human nature is going to be, yeah, the Boston Bruins are the best team in hockey because there's indisputable statistics in their favor, and they've earned that right because they've had a fantastic year. I mean, look at the way that we're talking about the Bruins. They pissed away two points. Yeah, but like it's almost like a five uh, a, a five alarm bell. Yeah, for the Bruins losing one regulation game and and losing a multi goal lead in the third period or losing a lead in the third period. 
which they also never do. They were like plus, what were they, like plus 30 or, or, or something incredible uh, in terms of goal differential in the third period. And the Oilers scored two goals in the third period. And by the way, the last two games, Buffalo and Boston did a fantastic job of shutting down Connor McDavid. Yeah. And that's weird to say because Connor McDavid had two goals against Buffalo, but Buffalo did a great job keeping him in the perimeter, especially in the second period. And he literally had two chances in that game and he converted to goals and he had one shot against Boston. So like they, those teams did a great job of shutting down McDavid, but the New York Rangers, here's, here's what I will say about it. Just to add to your point, in my opinion, and we all know that timing is everything, right? Like your team has to click. Your team has to perform optimally at the right time, which is the postseason. They have to go on a heater at the right moment, right? We all know this. We've all had, we all have examples of teams that just all of a sudden come alive in the playoffs. And even if they're not the favorite to win, and even if they're not the ones that we're even thinking will have a long playoff run, they end up going on a long run because it, it's just magic. Everything uh, goes right for them in that moment. On paper, Matt, on paper, the New York Rangers might have the best roster going into the postseason. And what I mean is if every player performed optimally, as you would expect them to, I'm not talking about 99 overall, a team of all 99 overalls in uh, NHL 23, <laughs> the video game. I'm talking about, like, you expect Shesterkin to play at his best. You expect Adam Fox to play at his best. You expect Zabanajad, Kreider, Patrick Kane, Tarasenko, Panarin all of them to play at their best that you know that they are able to achieve. If all of those New York Rangers players click and go on that heater at the right time and play optimally, to me, that's the best team on paper going into the playoffs. Yeah. I, I don't disagree. Like I know, uh, I know former, former NHLer and former Ranger Benoit Pouliot put some, he put his money where his mouth was and bet on the New York Rangers to win the Stanley cup. And I agree with you. Here's, here's my only concern. And I'm glad you brought it up. Cause it leads me into my next point was where are we at with adding too much star power? Because I, I agree. I think that that Rangers team is, is so incredible. I, I love their, their forwards. I love their D I love their goaltending, but like at what point do we start to worry about, and this seems so ridiculous, but there's just not enough puck to go around for, for these guys. Like, they had to they had to split up their two power plays and put you know Patrick Kane's on one and Tarasenko's on another and and Lafreniere moves up to the first unit actually he scored yesterday too um, and they move Kreider to the second unit like the, their second power play unit is better than a lot of teams' first power play units in the NHL and yet there's this concern about well somebody's going to get pissed off because they're not going to get the puck as much as they normally would or. Do we think that some of these players, you know, we talk about the selfishness of Ziggy Palfi compared to Alex Ovechkin, where they say, you know what, this is for the betterment of the team here. We can win a Stanley Cup. Like, where's the line here with there's not enough puck to go around for all these guys? So as it pertains to all the offensive firepower they have in the power play units, I know that uh, Canada, Toronto, you can't see this right now. I'm playing the world's smallest violin. <laughs> if you can just, if we can just stay silent for just a second, you might be able to hear me play just a second there. Uh, yeah. I think this is a problem across sports, a challenge, not a problem, a challenge across sports, because that was the question that I had when the Leafs um, uh, picked up all of their players was uh, team chemistry and also battling for minutes, right? And the Rangers have this same problem, especially in a top-heavy nature. They're professionals. Uh, they're, they're, there's egos involved, sure. And everyone wants ice time. Everyone wants the puck. Everyone wants to be uh, a hero. And, that, and maybe that's where the Boston Bruins have an advantage, right? In the sense that they're a locker room full of leaders. And they can expertly shut down any toxicity that may seep into the locker room. And I'm not saying that's what's going to happen with their new acquisitions. I'm not going to, I'm not saying like Tyler Bertuzzi and Dimitri Orlov are going to come in and disrupt the chemistry of the locker room. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is you have Bergeron, Marchand, Nick Foligno is a great example too. Like just guys that have, have been in the league for a long time, uh, know what it takes to win and know how to cultivate a proper culture in the locker room such that if the star player on one team becomes a third line uh, player on another team, well, that's how you're contributing in the postseason, and it's all towards the common goal, and get, getting that buy-in is important. Now, I'm not in the locker room 
for the Rangers every day. I, I'm not a, I don't cover the team every day, but what I have heard uh, from all accounts is that that's building there. Uh, I, I've talked to beat reporters with the Rangers that have said that, um, you know, it's a, it's a, lear- it's a learning process. Like I think that Patrick Kane, uh, he finally got his uh, first goal against the Canadians uh, for the Rangers. And that hasn't been a- as quick as an integration process as I'm sure many fans would like of Rangers fans. But as long as it's sorted out by the postseason, as long as those pieces are there, as long as the chemistry is building and everyone has the buy-in, uh, which you would expect from professionals, that, especially ones that have been in the league for a very long time, uh, I, I, I feel like that is certainly something that uh, can happen. And here's the last point that I'll make on it, Matt, is that like Patrick Kane wanting to go to New York, I just don't see somebody want, choosing a team and going there and then all of a sudden saying, no, 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 I'm not happy with my ice time. I, I, if I want to go to a team, I'm envisioning the different scenarios in which I can integrate and I'm going there because I want to win, right? Like mm-hmm. Patrick Kane didn't need to go to New York. Like he has a desire to win. Like I, that's, that's probably the biggest thing that's fueling him. He's got all the money in the world. He's got his Stanley Cups. He could have he retired a Blackhawk, right? But he's going because he wants to win. So part of that will be, okay, how do I integrate myself such that I win? Yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with that at all. Arto Cal uh, from ESPN and the drop here. Uh, it's the MO, ladies and gentlemen. We're back. Um, okay, so the other New York team gets a big win last night. The Islanders over the Pens in overtime. It was a fantastic game, uh, especially at the end. Sorokin was great in overtime. And while... The Islanders have been a great story because they have a fantastic goalie. They battled injuries and they still managed to maintain a playoff spot. And, you know, and, and it's also like, you look at the Pittsburgh Penguins. I like the thought of guys like Crosby, Malkin and Latang in the playoffs, but even though I don't think it's going to happen to me, it's more fun having teams like the senators and the Sabres in the playoffs in those two wildcard spots. Agree or disagree? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I like excitement. If the Buffalo Sabres make the postseason, that is a net benefit for hockey, in my opinion. They are one of the most exciting teams to watch in hockey. Tage Thompson in the postseason, sign me up. That, that is an instant lock. I love it. I love everything about that. There are so many storylines to root for on that Buffalo Sabres roster. A possible last hurrah for Craig Anderson, who's making 50. By the way, that game should have been a 50-save effort. Like, come on. 49 they he was at 53 they brought it back come on where's where where where's the love of fun come on where's the joy where's the joy Matt come on yeah, he was like the oldest player in history to have a 50 save game in the NHL like ah oh, what a heartbreaker anyway that's the storyline you have the number one overalls and how they're having breakout years like particularly Rasmus Dahlin having an amazing year Owen Power and his development you have uh, the, the Jeff Skinner, all of us just getting out of nowhere and, and him being hilarious in his social media skits, you know, uh, riffing off of Zach Galifianakis. You have uh, Tage Thompson, who's absolutely blossomed. Jordan Greenway joining the team and, and, and the U.S. development connection with Don Granado and how Don Granado insisted that Jordan Greenway be on this team because he sees something in him. Like, these are all stories that you can really sink your teeth into as a hockey fan. You love tracking them and Buffalo has them in space and also a team that like a a team that hasn't made the playoffs in a decade. Like there's just a lot there that um, you can sink your teeth into, but I agree. Sidney Crosby, you know, a a career of excellence of getting involved in the same thing. Uh, It would be weird to not see them in the postseason because we're so used to it. But I also love like, it's so much different the East this year than last year, right? Like last year was almost locked in by December or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean obviously not that early, but like it, it felt like it was it January like the though. Season, the East was set. It was yeah, January like it for like sure. Whole, yeah. The whole season felt like it was locked in, uh, but now it's going to come down to the wire and that's more fun. You know, I, I switching over to the, the Western conference and, and the playoff races, you know, I, there was a time when I looked at the West and I said, it's Colorado or bust again. And in Colorado, they, they're still not a lock to get in, but I'm pretty sure they're getting in. Now I kind of look at it, you know, I look at, I look at the Oilers and I look at the stars and, and this is not just because of what happened last night, but it really does feel like there are clear tiers in the Western conference. Whereas in the East, like it feels like anybody can win there, but in the West, it's like, I've got Colorado, I've got the Oilers, I've got the stars and Vegas is kind of creeping around that tier, but I think they're kind of one notch 
below. Do you feel that the West is as wide open as people claim it is? I think that, well, for example, the Oilers' victory against Boston, and uh, Steve Levy said this on the broadcast, all regular season games are not created equal, right? Mm. Like that game had a very playoff vibe to it. Or at least a fan is watching that game and saying, this is a test kind of game. Like this is a, I'm going to mold my opinion or at least color my opinion based on what happens in this game. And the Oilers like passed with flying colors, right? Down going into the third, they defy all expectations. They get depth uh, scoring and they beat the Bruins who barely lose in regulation. Like there's just like, that's the kind of game where you're like, wow, I see something in the Bruins. Stuart Skinner had a great game. Uh, it was all things went right for the Oilers. And you're like, if that's the team that I see in the playoffs, and they're going to be very, very dangerous. Yeah. So that to me is a big one. And the, and the addition of Matthias Ekholm has been really good, and, you know, and yeah. I, I don't want to say it was an underrated move because they paid a, a hefty price for him. Like when you're paying high end picks and, and you know, you're, you're moving assets to make a deal like that, but he's so underrated tough. Like he's nasty to play against. And I think that got kind of lost in Nashville because they're not always in the national spotlight, especially this year because they haven't been very good. Although somehow they're still kind of in the playoff picture, which makes no sense to me. Uh, maybe not after last night's loss to the coyotes, <laughs> but you know, I, I look at the Oilers and I say, if they can't win now with Connor McDavid playing literally out of his mind, then I don't know when they're going to win like that window. I don't want to say it's closing because I don't know when Connor McDavid's not going to be Connor McDavid, but you'd have to think that with every passing year, when you don't win, you know, that it goes without saying the window gets, gets smaller, but it's got to be soon. And I feel like the, the Ekholm addition and maybe a little bit of stability in between the pipes, kind of, sort of, I think it's better than last year. I think the Oilers, you know, may make a case to be the best team in the Western conference. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that we say that because they're in a wild card spot right now, but still they're not that far off. Um, in terms of the Pacific division, but that's the thing. Like there's a lot of teams that are sort of, I guess, it, let me, let me put it this way. If you told me, Hey, Dallas got out of the West, or if you told me Vegas got out of the West or the Kings got out of the West, even Seattle got out of the West, it wouldn't be as shocking, I guess. Like I sort of like the, you, you could pick apart certain advantages that each team has, but I don't think I would be, mouth on the floor shocked at what team if, if those teams I just mentioned for example or Colorado uh, exit the West and, and go to Stanley Cup final you know so but I agree with you like the NA hockey needs at some point in our lives hockey needs the image of Connor McDavid raising the Stanley Cup yeah hundred percent hundred percent uh one more quick one before i let you go here uh tanner Janot was all over jack eichel last night like if he didn't if that performance didn't endear him to his teammates and tampa fans i don't know what will but that game last night was a lot nastier than i could have ever expected between two teams that don't play each other all that much and they don't really have too much of a history against each other. But, you know, we saw a line brawl. We saw Tanner Janot drop Braden McNabb. He was all over Jack Eichel. Like, I, if there was ever a perfect addition to a team, and I know that it, you know, it's well documented the price that Julian Breezeball played, uh, paid for, for Tanner Janot. But my goodness, if there was ever the perfect fit, that really did feel like it. It certainly. And also... If I'm Leafs fans in the Leafs, I'm watching that game with vested interest. And sure. I'm saying, this is the kind of guy that we're going to be up against in the first round. And I know that he hasn't had the best year. It's been a pretty quiet year. But even even uh, Jeff, like he, he's, been ta he's been talking about this for, I don't know, like nine months a year. Like, like just even to last season about how like physical of a player he is. I remember Jeff had a quote about Tanner Janot and how like, if there's one guy you don't want to be on the train tracks against, it's him in the league, you know, like just because he's just such a physical, like hard hitting guy. And he was just making waves at that point. And it's cooled off a little bit this season. But I think that the new environment and, and maybe he's looking to make statements. Maybe he's like, look, this is a new environment for me. We're in a playoff position. Uh, we can really make a run here. This is a team that's essentially on knocking on the door of being a dynasty. You know, one more. If, if Tampa wins the Stanley Cup this year, we're talking dynasty, right? Four straight finals, three and four years. Like, that's dynasty-level stuff, especially in the salary cap era NHL. So 
Uh, Tanner Janot is a great addition there. And I also like one more thing I'll say on this. I love Julian Breesbaugh's quote about what, what, is, what is the definition of overpaying, right? Like, what exactly is that? Because we're in a window where we need to win now, and we have all the pieces, and there's a player that would fit our system greater. At least I believe that the, will fit our system. So I'm going to pay what is necessary that I'm comfortable with in order to bring that player here. So I like that too. I, that, that, if I'm a fan of the Lightning and I hear that, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, now I'm ready to run through a wall. Yeah. I always say prospects are suspects until they make it. Listen, he said there's like an 8% chance that a guy that you draft from whatever it is, like pick, you know, 28 to 32 or 20, whatever the case may be. It's like 8% that they're going to play 200 games in the NHL. And they're not doing that in the next two or three years in all likelihood. So, you know, I, I get it. And I, I understand why Julian Breezebois went out and made that move. I don't fault him at all. I think it's a great move. At the end of the day, you've got your stars Everybody's locked up to these long-term deals. You're probably going to lock up Tanner Janot to a long-term deal, much like Nick Paul's, where it's going to be cheap for like seven or eight years. And everybody's happy. And they're going to go out and have a chance to win again next year. I, I don't fault anybody for pushing the chips all in. And I agree. If I'm a fan of the Tampa Bay Lightning, which I am not, I actually really don't like them as a fan of the team that currently uh, resides in the city I live in. Um, but they go out and they get their business done and they don't make any qualms about it. It's, this is our goal. This is what our, our philosophy is. And we're going to stick to it. And you know what? That's a reason why they can be considered as, as a dynasty team. Exactly. And, and good on you for being a professional and talking about them objectively. I know it's very tough. I know it's difficult to talk about uh, the Tampa Bay lightning objectively, but you're good for you. See, it just goes to show how much of a professional you are yeah. and how important the MO is in the history of Canadian radio. It, it's true. Um, as someone who's been a Leaf fan basically my whole life, um, yeah, they haven't won a cup in forever, so I can't say very many good things about them until they win. Can I, can I, can I leave uh, the audience with one random sure. Toronto Maple Leaf stat? Yes. Did you know that, and I know that you love random stuff, did you know that the Toronto Maple Leafs, so, the, so 13 Stanley Cups, uh, inaugural year was 1917. Only one year in the Leafs' existence had they won three playoff series in the same year. Only once, 1932. Every other Stanley Cup was won in two rounds, and in the three- to four-round system, which started essentially in the 70s, they have not won three straight playoff rounds in the same season. Well, I can tell you that's the reason why they can't win one round. They're just, they're just not built for longevity, Arda. That's what it is. They, they can't sustain winning for more than one round or two rounds because historically they just don't know how to do it. I like that random stack. I never even thought about that, but it does make, it does make a ton of sense, uh, especially with, you know, the original six and, oh, I'm going to use that one going forward. Can I, uh, what is, what does Jeff Go always ahead. say? G, uh, um, I can't, something about genius steals and something, I don't know. I'll call Jeff after oh, the show. Oh, like great it people. It's like great, great people borrow geniuses steal. Yeah, or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, greatness, greatness borrows we can't genius keep steals. Up with all of, yeah, I we know. Can't keep up with all of Jeff's quotes. Okay, he's got like a thousand of them. <laughs> the Jeffisms, as we like to refer to him <laughs> on the show. Uh, Arda, listen, you spent a lot of time with me today. I greatly appreciate it as always. Uh, the mo will be back when I'm back hosting at some point in the future in the coming weeks when Jeff needs another day off for Connor Bedard tanking reasons. <laughs> I love it, buddy. Thanks, man. There he goes. Arda Ocal from ESPN and The Drop. We're heavy on time, but when we come back, uh, Trip Tracy, Hurricanes TV analyst, will join us. Peter Kachetkov had um, one heck of an interesting week. And I mean, it is a week of legend. We'll get to that and more regarding the Carolina Hurricanes when we come back. Matt Marchese in for Jeff Merrick. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back. Final segment for the week on the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese in for Jeff. We'll be back on Monday. I did end up tweeting out that video, uh, the Ziggy Palfy's career ender on a hit by Darcy Hordachuk. So if you want to find that one, it's uh, on my Twitter handle at MattyMar89. Okay, there players have had really incredible weeks 
in pro hockey. But Peter Kachetkov may have had the greatest one that I've ever seen in the history of the game. Uh, Trip Tracy is the Hurricanes TV analyst, and he joins me on the show. Trip, um, Kachetkov gets the call up yesterday. He, he ends up getting a shutout against the Flyers. Wasn't overly worked, but his week leading up to yesterday with scoring a goal in the AHL, getting into a fight in the same game, fighting the next night and then getting called up and getting a shot has to be one of the greatest weeks in hockey history for a goalie. Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, 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 it certainly was storybook. Um, you know, we were actually, I was with the hurricanes obviously in Tempe, Arizona. Um, when I, I saw on Twitter that he had scored for Chicago in Winnipeg uh, and then had the fight after I, I'd be very curious. I can't imagine I, who knows, but I can't imagine a goalie's ever had a Gordie Howe hat trick. He had had an assist, <laughs> too. Um, yeah, you can't imagine that's ever happened. Um, and then he comes up, and and I thought it was, you know, this busy stretch of hockey. Uh, typically, when guys at any position get called up from the American Hockey League, it's my view, Matt, that if you get them in right away, uh, they have the best chance at thriving you know, because they've been playing obviously a steady dose of games. Um, they're, they've, they're deserving of a call up. And I mean, coach Etkoff, when I look at his season, uh, you know, the hurricanes wouldn't be where they're at right now. When Anderson went down, Freddie Anderson for a long period of time and what he did in the, the latter two thirds of November, and the first half of December, he was as good as any goalie in the NHL probably during that time span. And then you, you you go down, really wise decision by the Hurricanes organization uh, to use the American Hockey League for its very purpose, and that is to fine-tune his game, learn to channel his emotions properly, uh, all part of uh, maturity. And uh, he did everything with a tremendous attitude that they would have ever asked him to do. Uh, and <laughs> at that fabulous night in Winnipeg, and, and you know, didn't need to be more than solid and timely in particular with a couple of big saves in the second period against Philadelphia last night. But that is some kind of week. And I'll tell you, the, the huge Kaniacs down here, do they ever love him? I love him. He's my favorite goalie in the world right now, especially after this week that he had. Like, he's he's one of the most entertaining players. You know, he had, got into it with Brad Marchand last year in the playoffs. And, I mean, I would, I would pay to see that one go down. Um, but, you know, I, I look at the luxury that the hurricanes have with Kachetkov because they're able to send him up and down. And he's still, he's still young. He's 23 years old, a former second round pick. And you know, he's going to factor in for the hurricanes in the playoffs. I, I would almost guarantee it because listen, he did last year. Freddie Anderson has shown that he's not able to stay healthy for long stretches of times. And auntie Ranta is back on the shelf again. I mean, if you're right, if, if there was no Peter Kachetkov, who knows where the Hurricanes would be right now, but it's also a testament to Kachetkov being able to go up and down and still be, you know, a very important performer for this club. Well, it's, it's I mean, with with where the, the Hurricanes played nineteen of their first twenty eight games on the road, and if I mean they ended up playing stratospherically elite hockey um, with a lot of new faces on the team this year. Uh, not a ton of quantity of injuries, but quality of injuries. When you think about Anderson, you think about uh, Pacioretty. They lost Slavin for a stretch in, in December. And, you know, he, he played stellar goal for a considerable period of time and probably their most adverse portion of the season. Everything's gone so well. They've been so darn good, especially since Thanksgiving. Um, without his contribution, they could be in an entirely in a galaxy's different spot. With that being said, I mean, <laughs> it's still the desire and the expectation that hopefully Freddie is going to be healthy. Freddie has been outstanding since he came back in January from his lower body injury. I get it. I know the narrative as well it should be, will be come playoff time. Is Freddie healthy and can he take his stellar regular season work and apply it to the playoffs. Um, so Freddie is the guy. There's no doubt about that. Um, he's played extremely well since his return, like I said, in January. But what I will say is that, you know, should you have health issues with Ronta, 
the team should and they do have complete and utter confidence in Pyotr Kochetkov, aside from the physical tools. Um, again, if he channels his emotions, such, such likable emotion properly, the big part for him is that he wants the moment. He doesn't want to shy away from it. He wants the moment. And uh, I would have full confidence in him if the situation, situation ever called, called for it, Matt, uh, in this postseason. Um, and I think the Hurricanes did a heck of a job earlier this year extending him um, for many years after this year at a very good team number. Trip Tracy is my guest here on the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese filling in. And, and you know, you know, we talk about the the management and, and shrewd moves that they make. You know, it wasn't a busy deadline for the Hurricanes. They brought in Jesse Pugliarvi. They brought in Shane Gostisbehere. Um, They brought in depth. And I, I do wonder because, listen, Don Waddell was on this program and he talked about, like, we're not going to stray away from the plan. You know, we don't we don't want to pay prices for rentals. We, you know, we want guys under contract. And, you know, and, and that's an organizational philosophy that, I'm fine with, and and it's working. Do you think that there was at least part of Don Waddell that looked at the moves that other teams in the East were making and said, I think we need to make an ad like that? Or do you think that, you know, he he toiled around in that pool and said, nah, we're good. I, I don't like the prices that are being paid here, and we're really comfortable with the team that we have. Uh, I'll tell you what I think, and I, I feel pretty confident in what I think. Uh, that the Hurricanes um, very thoughtfully and thoroughly um, targeted the, probably the biggest fish in free agency and thought that his pure goal scoring, his heaviness, uh, could help the Hurricanes. And I, again, feel very confident in saying that Carolina made a very, very fair offer. It didn't go. And... Um, too bad, um, but they, you know, they they didn't try to shy away from making a very comparable offer. Um, and what I did like about Don after that hopeful transaction didn't acquire, because I feel very comfortable in saying that they did everything they possibly could um, to be the team that would acquire this player, uh, that all of a sudden, if you pivot to a player that is available that you don't feel as good about uh, on all the different boxes you want to check to improve your group, a group that has had phenomenal chemistry this year and has had more wins than even the Boston Bruins since Thanksgiving, uh, I think the moment you pivot and go after another guy that you didn't hold in as high of regard, Matt, you're all of a sudden shifting to a position from a position of strength to a position of weakness. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it was at that point uh, that the Hurricanes, I think uh, they were able to address as the analyst their single biggest need, and that is a guy that can play on your third pair with Jalen Chatfield, who's had a terrific year that can uh, give you another piece on both of your power play units to be able to do something you haven't been able to do in the last couple of playoffs, and that's to match the top power plays in the East, whether it be Tampa knocking you out a couple of years ago, Boston before that, most recently the Rangers and their power play uh, last spring. And then Shane Gostisbehere, you get a guy that uh, can address that. He had two picture-perfect games, his first two games as a hurricane. And then the Puyarvi acquisition, I look at as essentially no risk, and high reward. Um, I'm going to have to lay eyes upon him. You know, I watched him practice today. I uh, actually saw some power play time. The Carolina Hurricanes are not an overly big team up front. Um, Sebastian Ajo, who, based on what he's accomplished in the league and the type of person he is, if he didn't play another shift, already one of the great Hurricanes in 25 years of existence in Carolina. When he tells me this is this is a guy that I have supreme belief in as a person and as a player well that certainly is enough for me to take a a good look and you know but the way they're going boy Puyarvi would be a great bonus especially from that heaviness standpoint uh at even strength and who knows as a net front guy in one of the power play units but if it doesn't work you know it's it's not like all of a sudden you're in a major position of weakness i i think the chronology uh of the deadline 
I know the Hurricanes didn't make headlines like uh, a ton of teams in the league and primarily in the Eastern Conference, but I think that was only because the guy that they targeted and made probably as good of an offer, who knows, better than the team that acquired him. Once that didn't go, the moment that you get reactionary, I think you're really shifting to a position of weakness. Yeah, it definitely does happen. You, know, you talked about the history of the Hurricanes, and the one thing that I can say, and I, I feel like you would probably agree with this, that defensive unit that they have has to be the best one that this organization has ever seen because they are absolutely fantastic. You see how they lock down. They don't allow a ton of shots. Their shot suppression is really good. Like, am I crazy to say that this is the best defensive unit that they, that this organization has ever seen? I'm so happy that you asked that question, Matt, because I, I do believe it is. Um, you know, I beckon back to, you know, it's been such a special privilege to, to be with this team and have the perspective of the 2002 team that went to the finals, of course, the Stanley Cup champions in 2006, 2009, Eastern Conference finalists, and, and now these consecutive years, you know, it's about to be five straight in the playoffs. Yes, this is the best in my view. The reason that I'm really thrilled you asked the question is in getting Goss to spare. Okay, so... You know, take a guy, let's just take two defensemen from the Arizona, or that were on the Arizona Coyotes. Jacob Chikrin. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's a player that hopefully will help the Ottawa Senators big time. But here's a player with term. So if I had the choice, knowing what Carolina has in their top four in homegrown guys and Slavin and Pesci and Brent Burns, who's played terrifically, it was his birthday last night, and Brady Shea, who's had simply a marvelous all-around year. I'm taking Shane Goss's bear over Jacob Chickard any day that ends in a Y uh, because you need help on your power play. And the moment that you acquire, you're going to pay a bigger price. The moment that you acquire a guy like Jacob Chickren, all of a sudden that reduces in a cap world, that reduces your chances of the absolute necessity of keeping three guys that are so critical to this team's success in no particular order in Slavin, Pesci, and Shea. Yeah. So, I think the Hurricanes made, for now, and necessary help on their power play, a, a terrific move in getting Goss to spare. But I was really happy to see him not acquire a guy with term, would have, like I said, given up more, because I see it as a massive priority uh, to keep Shea, Pesci, and Slavin. They have been so important to the su- success of the team, and I do think it's the best defensive core they've ever certainly the best top four they've ever had. Yeah, and, you know, I look at – I look at the, you know, on, on natural stat trick, they give you, you know, defensive pairs and how much they played together. And, you know, Brady Shea and Brett Pesci are third with 993 minutes and 58 seconds. So almost 994 minutes, Brent Burns and Jacob Slavin are uh, fifth with 883 minutes and 27 seconds, like the consistency. And, and part of that is they've been able to stay relatively healthy, but you know, I, there, there's something to be said about when you look at those numbers and see, you know, teams like the LA Kings have two pairs in the top 11. The Rangers have two pairs in the top 10. There's, there's a, there's something to be said about having guys that consistently play together. And obviously they're good, but also having that consistency in that they don't give up a lot of goals. They don't give up a lot of shots. That consistency has really helped. And, and health is a big part of why this, this top four has been really good this year as well. Again, uh, totally agree. And, uh, you know, when you have that top four in particular with the chemistry, I mean, Brady Shea and Brett Pesci have become very, very close friends. I mean, the bye week, they went to Anguilla together. Um, Slavin and and Brent Burns go to church together. I mean, the the chemistry off the ice uh, lends to uh, the fact that they all have – tremendous individual physical uh, ability. But then, you you know, when, when you stay healthy, uh, you care more about someone, in this case your partner, uh, you're going to compete for one another, and you're going to play better on the ice. And those two tandems, for the first several months of the year, Matt, I would say that there's no doubt in my mind that Pesci and Shea were Carolina's top pairing. I thought as good of a pairing as there was and has been in the National Hockey League. I mean, if you were – you were making all-star selections uh, based upon value to your team, both of those guys would have uh, an extremely good argument. And Brady Shea, for a long stretch of time, has been one of the leaders from the back end of the league in scoring goals. And, and Brent Burns, 
once he fully adjusted to a very significant systematic change in Carolina and turned his brain off, I can't get over his 38th birthday last night, how fast he's played in the year 2023. I mean, he has been simply terrific. And Jacob Slavin uh, just continues to be who he is, an absolute stellar defender that is capable to chip in uh, offensively uh, more than I think most people give him credit for. And then the one other player that people don't think about but has been a terrific find from the Vancouver organization and has played lights out this year. He's hurt right now, but it's Jalen Chatfield. I mean, Jalen Chatfield could just be scratching the surface. He's a righty that can play his offside. So many defensemen Matt say they can do it, but they really can't. Uh, Slay, uh, Jacob Slavin was out for a stretch of time. He played with Brett Burns on his offside. He did seamlessly. Um, so, you know, I really, really feel better than ever about their top five defensemen, and that's where you go and get a guy like Goss to spare to hopefully be serviceable in limited minutes at even strength and give you again a chance at those elite power plays to just come out of the East before you even think about who you play uh, out of the West. Um, and it's, it really is the straw that stirs the drink. You can think about all the star power up front and where the goaltending will come from uh, that you absolutely have to have to advance in the playoffs. But there's no question for me that the engine of this team is the blue line. Yeah, for sure. Uh, listen, Trip, this has been this has been great. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Really appreciate it. Matt, thanks so much. Have a great rest of the day and a great weekend. Thanks. Same to you. There he goes, Trip Tracy, Hurricanes TV analyst. And they are a fascinating team heading into the playoffs because I agree, that defensive unit, whew, Brent Burns has really kind of turned back the clock with that organization. And, and one of my favorite players, one of the most interesting players in the NHL for me, along with... Peter Kachetkov. Um, that's it for us today on the Jeff Merrick show. Matt Marchese filling in. Uh, thank you very much to my guest today. Elliot Friedman for joining us off the top of the show. Craig Morgan, Arta Ocal, the MO returned today. So make sure you have a listen. If you didn't catch it there, uh, of course, available on your favorite podcatcher trip, Tracy, who you just heard her against TV analysts. That's it for us. For this week, the Jeff Merrick Show. Jeff will be back on Monday. Thank you so much for listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Have a great weekend, everybody.